And we are back on the G Truth with your host, the one only, the one and only, Giovanni Canales. And today I'm going to talk about the game five of the finals, the NBA finals between the Golden State Warriors and the Toronto Raptors. Now I'm going to go through the whole game. I'm going to talk about all the storylines with Kevin Durant. With, you know, game six coming up, what all this stuff means. The timeout at the end by Nick Nurse. Whether that was correct or not. But let me start off by saying this. Ooh, Clay and Curry, ooh. They both had great games. They both combined for over 50 points. Com- combined together. And they each had five or more three-pointers. And I believe that's the fourth time that's happened in the NBA Finals today. Fourth time in their five-year run in the NBA Finals. Fourth time. Only the fourth time. So they both played really well together. Unlike in Game 3 where Clay was not there, Steph balled out 47 points, but there was no one else there to help him. And then also Game 4 where Clay went bonanzas, but then Curry didn't show up. Because he was tired from this Game 3 performance. But in Game 5, when it mattered the most, they both showed up. And the Warriors overall shot incredibly well under pressure. 20 three-pointers all together as a team. And then you have Kevin Durant chipping in with three three three-pointers of his own in that game. You have Boogie contributing, not from three. He hasn't been shooting three that well, but he contributed off the bench. 14 points, solid rebounding all around offensively, defensively, all that stuff, making some nice defensive plays when it mattered the most. It's not the end. We'll we'll get to that later, but at the end, it was kind of tragic. But throughout the whole game, he was pretty good. And the camera during the game panned over him for a bit while he was on the bench with Kevin Looney and Andrew Bogut out there. And I honestly think that that's probably where he should be to start game six. Not because he's bad. Not because he's bad. But because that helps him process the moment. It helps him focus, refuel, and come determined and play correctly off the bench. Rather than when he's starting, he just doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to fit in right from the get-go. Because he hasn't played a whole season with them. With the Warriors, that is. And so when he's off the bench, usually it was with with, uh, Clay, Quinn, a bit of Iggy, maybe Sean Livingston in there. It's easier for him to figure out what his role is. And that helps him play a lot better. So I think that that the Warriors should continue doing that. And then they also have Looney out with injury, so he may or may not play tomorrow on Thursday. If, if he's ready to go, they, they should definitely start him and do the exact same thing. Looney, Bogut, and then DeMarcus Cousins. That way Boogie sees what he has to do. 
and he's able to focus on it and carry it out. And then the bench overall for the Warriors played tremendously well with Quinn Cook, you know, uh, start of the fourth quarter playing pretty well. He made a huge three, almost made another three, but instead of taking that three, he ended up driving to the paint and dishing it off to Jordan Bell for a little, you know, in the paint, little floater over Serge Ibaka, I'm pretty sure. So very solid con contributions from the bench. Now for the Raptors. For the Raptors. It gets a bit more complicated here. Because you have Kawhi not playing that great for this whole game until that little two-minute spurt in the fourth quarter at the very end. Around five and a half minutes left, all the way down to like three minutes left. Until Nick Nurse called the timeout. He was not playing that great. But in that little two-minute spurt, five, three minutes left in the fourth quarter, ooh, ten points in a row. I'll get to that too. I'll read off what happened, but I'll get to that a bit later. But insane. Didn't really play that well throughout the whole game. And Marcus Gasol was pretty good early on, making some threes in the first quarter, keeping the Raptors in it when Kawhi was not really doing too much in the early on, really. But late in the game, like the second half, I don't really remember what he did. I, I doesn't come to mind what he did. And then Siakam, too. Didn't really do much for the whole game. Yeah, he got in, into double-digit points. But very forgettable. Same with Danny Green. He can make a dang shot to save his life. Especially when it matters the most. But, you know, the Warriors still stayed on him because he's a shooter. He's a shooter, so you got to stay on him. But he didn't play that well. And, you know, surprisingly, even though the criticism I've given, even though the criticism I've given him for not showing up when it matters the most, Kyle Lowry actually played decently well. What you expect from Kyle Lowry. But until, you know, the pressure really came, like I said, until the pressure was really there, when it really mattered the most, and you could tell that he was thinking about it, he collapsed when it mattered the most. And now, off the bench, Ibaka and Fred VanVleet play pretty well. I mean, they've been playing spectacular for this whole series. But in the end, are they on the floor when it matters the most? Not really. Not really. Are, are, they, the f are they the first or second option when it matters the most? No. Not really. So, you can't really pin, any pin anything on them. It comes down to Kawhi, Lowry, Siakam, and Gasol. Not Danny Green. And overall, the Raptors didn't play that well of a game. They made eight threes total compared to the Warriors' 20. But they dominated the paint like they should have, and they did. And they did a great job of it. And that's what kept them in the game, as well as racking up like 15 more free throws than the Warriors did. Which, you know, it's kind of... Th that does not happen by accident. The Warriors don't shoot like 12, 15 free throws, and the Raptors shoot 27, 29. That doesn't happen by accident. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, anything sketchy is happening. I'm just saying that does not happen by accident. And that's a lot of the reason why the Raptors were still in the game. So all that talk that you're hearing of, oh, the Raptors only lost by one. Therefore, they can still win. 
easily. No, no, no. That's not the case. They had a lot of things going their way. Much like the Warriors had the three-point ball going their way, the Raptors had a lot of things going their way. Several things going their way. Until the very end. So let me read it off. Let me read it off for you. Now this is going to be with uh, the fourth quarter, really. And then third quarter, you have Curry not really scoring that much. You have Kawhi scoring one point in the fourth in the third quarter, only one point in the third quarter for Kawhi. Curry really didn't do much in the third quarter either, but Clay was consistent throughout the whole game, shooting the ball and scoring-wise, defensively as well. He was playing great. And then, in my opinion, Curry had uh, – not Curry. Steve Kerr had a pretty poor lineup in to start off the third quarter. He had Clay Thompson, Quinn Cook, Sean Livingston, uh, Jordan Bell, and DeMarcus Cousins. And like I said earlier – Quinn Cook actually came to play in that line, came to play in that lineup at the start of the fourth quarter, making a three-pointer and also dishing the ball off after driving to the hoop to Jordan Bell for a little floater over Serge Ibaka. So it actually ended up doing pretty well for the little two, three minutes that they played. They actually did pretty well and held down the fourth. Now. I'm going to skip forward to the last five and a half, five minutes, 45 seconds left. Clay misses the three-pointer. Norman Powell gets a breakaway dunk after Kawhi gets an uncalled travel and just ditches it off to him. And the Warriors, looking for the travel call, rightfully so, just don't play defense and let Norman Powell get a just a breakaway ooh, dunk. And it just He just flew on that one. Watch it. He he flew on that dunk. Without a doubt. But I believe it was a travel. A bit. Just a bit. And then from there, the, the Warriors call a timeout. Get their defense set. Make sure that they focus on the game and not the refereeing. Like every team should. Especially you, Draymond Green. You have six technical fouls. You cannot afford to get one more. Focus on the game, not the refereeing. No matter how... Disappointing it may seem at times for the Warriors. You got to keep that composure. So out, so, so out of the timeout, the Warriors continue to bleed. Iggy misses the floater. You have Kawhi start his 10-point solo run. He makes a pull-up three. And then Curry tries to answer back. He misses. And at this point, the Raptors take the lead. Kawhi makes a two-pointer. Draymond scores a two. Kawhi makes another three. Just pulls up. And then Iggy misses a two-point shot. And then Kawhi makes another two. Just like that. Bang. Quick ten-point spurt. And then you have the Warriors down by six. Six points. Down by six points. With roughly three and a half minutes left. After Kawhi makes that last two-pointer, you have Curry missing a three. And then for whatever reason, the Raptors call a timeout with three minutes and five seconds left in the fourth quarter. Just when Kawhi is getting on the roll, they call a timeout. Now, in my opinion, this is not the core reason why the Raptors lost. That's not the core reason. 
Is it a, is it a factor? Yes, for sure. But is it the main reason? No. No, you cannot blame this timeout for the Raptors losing this game. But this timeout does do several things. It does slow down the Raptors' momentum. It does break that sort of shooting uh, rhythm that, that Kawhi was in. And, and if you play basketball, you, you know what I mean. You know what I mean by shooting rhythm. When you just make one shot, and then you make another, and then you feel like you can make it from anywhere, and you just start shooting it from 40 feet away from the hoop, and you make it, and you just keep on going farther and farther and farther back, making the shot more and more and more insane, because you just got the touch. That's what Kawhi was doing right there. And I thought at that moment, at that moment, when, when Kawhi made that last bucket to give the Raptors a six-point lead with three minutes left, I thought the game was over. As did, I think, most of America and most of Canada. They probably thought the game was over. And that the Raptors were the new champions. But that did not happen. What instead happened is that the Warriors end up substituting Quinn Cook, an offensive player, even though he's small, an offensive player, for Iguodala. A shooter, so a shooter for the a shooter and Quinn Cook for a defensive player and Iguodala to help spread out the floor and have more pressure on the uh, Raptors defense. But but this is still Raptors ball out of the timeout. And what happened? Like I said, once you get in that rhythm. And you get out of it. It's very hard to come back into it. And what ends up happening? Kawhi matches up against Clay. He dribbles, dribbles, dribbles. Steps to the left. He gets stuck. Goes into a, goes into the post. Does a fadeaway against Clay. Clay contests. Kawhi airballs the two pointer. What, what happens on the next possession? Clay comes off a screen, catches it, steps into the screen as well. Shoots it. Three. Boom. Down by three. I saw that and I'm like, oh my goodness, the Warriors actually have a chance. Just gotta, just gotta play some defense. Well, what happens next? Kyle Lowry, I told you when the pressure is at the highest, he misses. He misses the three. Next possession, you have, I believe Curry misses a long three. And then Boogie gets that emphatic dunk, put back dunk, but they call it an offensive goaltending because they believe it was within the rim cylinder. Yeah, I disagree personally. I think it was not an offensive goaltending. I think it's pretty clear that it was not. I, I'm pretty sure it was outside of the cylinder, the, the virtual cylinder that they're talking about around the rim. But, th but that's my thought. That's my belief. But that would have cut it down to one point game. But that ended up being taken away. And, and at that point, during the review, Steve Kerr puts in Iguodala back in for Quinn Cook. And for the Raptors, Danny Green comes back in for Norman Powell. Now, I believe that this should have happened earlier for the Raptors. Danny Green should have been in earlier. 
not at this point because we need to spread out that Warriors defense. Now, it worked out for the Raptors early on, but now it starts not really helping out so much. Next possession, Raptors ball. Lowry gets a backcourt turnover, and then Curry comes down off screen, just shoots the three-pointer, nothing but net. And and, and I replayed that several times because the way it went into the basket was just so beautiful. Just, mwah, just amazing the way it went into the basket. Nothing but net, and it just had that nice little ripple effect of the net. And then Kawhi can't answer with his own three. He misses way to the left. Not an air ball, but still pretty bad. Warriors rebound. And then you have Clay. In all the chaos, with Curry driving to the basket, he kicks it out to Iggy. He kicks it out back to Draymond. And Draymond wings it over to Clay. Clay at the left corner. Not, not, not the corner, but, you know, the little... Where, where the corner meets the arc. That area. Pump fake. Kawhi Leonard fights. He goes flying right past him. One dribble. As soon as Clay does that, you you know it's going in. It's a free throw for him. One dribble. Bang. Wishes it. Warriors up by three. Three three-pointers for the Warriors. Clay, Curry, Clay. The Splash Brothers bring the Warriors back. Well, Kawhi and Lowry cannot answer. Now, in the next possession... After the Raptors called timeout, after that devastating three. Marcus Salt, like I said, forgettable when it comes late, misses the shot. Now, I'm pretty sure that in, in the two-minute report, they said that it was probably a foul. But, I mean, even then, misses the shot. But then you have a lot of chances for the Raptors. At the fault of the Warriors in this case. Curry dribbles it, dribbles, dribbles, goes behind the back, loses it. Draymond Green tries to get it. Backcourt violation. I mean, at that point, I mean, that that's just bad. And then, and then, like you have that one early on, and then you have this one where Draymond Green just has the ball and kind of just—I don't even know what he does. He just holds onto it and then just gets hit a little bit, and then starts falling backwards and just steps on the backcourt line, and that leads to the backcourt turnover, which gives the Raptors another chance. And they actually do score. And by who you would have guessed, not Kawhi, not Gasol, Kyle Lowry, surprisingly. He scored a layup, but that was due to uh, DeMarcus Cousins' goaltending. And actually, this was the right play by Kyle Lowry. Not only to put DeMarcus Cousins in that position, because he's faster than DeMarcus Cousins. DeMarcus Cousins is a bit slower, especially coming off that injury. And still playing off that injury. But because his three ball was not falling for the for a majority of the game. But him attacking the paint was working for a good portion of the game. Where he would just get anything he wanted within the paint. Especially whenever he was matched up with DeMarcus Cousins. Because he would either stop on the dime and do a little fadeaway two-point mid-range shot that go in almost every single time or he would just drive all the way to the rim 
and just finished. And he did a great job of that. And then you have on the Warriors' next possession, Boogie almost throwing this game away again. First with the goaltending, and now with a moving screen offensive foul, where Curry could have gone away, hoisted up a three, and put the game away. But Boogie moves on the screen. One last chance in for the Raptors. Kerr substitutes in Sean Livingston for DeMarcus Cousins for the um, length and for the mobility on defense. And this is risky because now you don't have a huge rebounder in the paint. You don't have that rebounder in the paint. So it's really risky to do this. But this allows you to play more out on the perimeter and double team and move a lot quicker which they really, really needed. And let me just break this down. I believe Kyle Lowry starts off with the ball, and he's trying to give it. Fred Van Lee or Kyle Lowry starts off with the ball. doesn't really matter, but he's trying to give it to Kawhi Leonard, who has Clay on him. 11 seconds left, roughly. Now, Clay does a great job of denying the pass and forcing Kawhi to come out near the half court to receive it. And by the time that happens, it's down to... Eight seconds left on the clock. Eight seconds left. Clay single-handedly took away three, four seconds away from the shot clock, from the game clock, while the Raptors were trying to get the ball to Kawhi Leonard. And at that point, you're, you have eight seconds left. You're at the top of the three-point line, near half court, at the logo area. It's very tough for you to do anything up there. And as soon as Kawhi takes that one dribble, gets close to the three-point line, Iguodala leaves Kyle Lowry on the corner three line. All down the left side of the court. Directly away from Kawhi Leonard. He just leaves him there. Says, hey, Draymond, you got him. You got him. I'm going to double team Kawhi. And he does this that. He double teams Kawhi. Now, now you got Clay Thompson and Iguodala. The two, the Warriors' two best defenders aside from Draymond Green. Guarding Kawhi. Double teaming him. And Kawhi passes it out to Fred Van Vliet. And Curry does a great job of staying on Danny Green and not being tempted to triple team or do some other crazy thing. He does what he's supposed to do. Stays on Danny Green. And great job of Sean Livingston as well to not allow Kawhi to go to the left side and force him to go to the right side. And now Livingston comes up on Fred Van Vliet. Fred Van Vliet has the ball. He sees uh, Kyle Lowry kind of open. Swings it to him in the corner. There's about one and a half seconds left. So at this point, he might be able to do a pump fake. But he elects not to. And now we zoom in on Draymond Green. Draymond Green at that point, if you rewatch that, he does a great job of staying on Marcus Saul, denying a, an entry pass into Marcus Saul, while going around him to get on the shooting hand side of Kyle Lowry. And that's big. Because as soon as Kyle Lowry gets that, he does not pump it. He shoots it. And as soon as Fred Van Vliet passes the ball, Jermon Green anticipates that it's going to Kyle Lowry. He runs over there. And he gets his mitt of a hand up. To contest the shot. And he arguably 
blocked it. He blocked it because he was on the shooting hand side. That just goes to show the IQ of Draymond Green. The defensive IQ of Draymond Green. He might not be the fastest. He, he may not be the most skilled. But he has the IQ. And he did what he had to do in that moment. And he, and he did it great. And when I saw that in real time, I didn't think he blocked it. I just thought Kyle Lowry missed it really bad. Hit the side of the backboard. And to be honest, I would, I would not have been surprised. Because that's just Kyle Lowry's M.O. And to be quite honest, I don't think he would have made it anyways. Because what matters most, Kyle Lowry does not do what he's supposed to do as well. He hit that one layup, but aside from that, not really much. But the Warriors championship mentality and their resilience gave him this win. Their defensive mindset and offensive prowess gave him this win. Now, for the main topic of the game, main storyline exiting the game was Durant. He gave the Warriors 11 points, 3 or 3 from 3-pointer. A lot of those were catch and shoot, but as soon as he tried to create something off the dribble, ran right into Siakam and went down with what is believed to be an Achilles injury. And at that point, shame on the Raptors fans for cheering the injury. I know people will say, oh, they were cheering for the steal and the breakaway lamp or whatever. But no, no, no. If you, you rewatch that, you can see fans waving goodbye with smiles on their faces at Kevin Durant, pointing at him, laughing, cheering. Shame, shame on them. Now, credit to the Raptors team on the court, as well on pressure off the bench, as well as the Warriors players on telling the crowd, no, no, you can't do that. No, no, you, you don't cheer someone who just got injured. You applaud them when they get up. You don't cheer when they get knocked down. That's not how it works. Now, the main news around it is he's going to New York City for his doctor, which is kind of interesting. And it's going to be construed by the media in several different ways, where he doesn't trust the Warriors' doctors anymore. Or he's going to go to the Knicks. But, but I'm telling you, that that's not the case. That's not the case. Because in my, what, what I believe is that Kevin Durant had to have known that Something could have happened. Now, the interesting thing is that Steve Kerr apparently said that the doctors of the Warriors, the, the, the medical staff of the Warriors, the team trainers, said that, that Durant couldn't injure it any worse. And like I said in the previous episode, I said, there's always a chance of making it worse, of re-aggravating the injury and making it worse. And that's what happened. So maybe there could be a bit of you know distrust between Kevin Durant and the medical staff of the Warriors, but I don't believe that there's that much distrust. Because I'm pretty sure Kevin Durant knew that hey, I'm th- th- there's gonna be a risk. But if anything, this shows how much he wants to be a part of this team, how much he is a part of this team, even though, and, and we saw this. On media day earlier, 
where 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 he was sidelined against I believe the Portland Trailblazers at that time in the in parts of the media saying well well it's not I don't think intentional but it's the way that it was said where it was Kevin Durant and them them being the Golden State Warriors where they were separate not together and Kevin Durant said no 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 he's saying no our player saying he's a part of this team and if anything he showed it again and again and again and he poured his heart out for this Warriors team he poured his heart out by coming back putting his body on the line and although it didn't work out for him we can see that he has never been more a part of this team than now. Now, this is the peak amount that he's been a part of this team. Emotionally, physically, mentally. This goes beyond basketball, where he's a part of that brotherhood that the Warriors have. And for that reason, I believe that he's not going to go to anywhere else. I don't think he's going to go to Brooklyn or go to the Clippers. Or to the Knicks. I believe he's going to stay in Golden State. Go, go to San Francisco with them. Go to the new arena. That's what I think. Because. He's finally a part of the team. Not only from. The Warriors eyes. Because he's always been a part of this team. But from the national perspective. He's finally a part of the team. Now for my. Game six prediction. Here's what I think. I think that the Raptors are in a pretty good spot because mentally they they, they can tell themselves, "Hey, we're not we're not going to only make three, uh, we're, we're we're not going to only make eight three pointers. That's not going to happen. They're they're not going to make twenty three pointers. Kawhi's not going to play that bad throughout the whole game. Danny Green's going to make some shots." You can say that. And, and that'd be a valid argument for the Raptors. But here's the thing. Even though I said Raptors in five last episode because that's just how it felt. It's, it, it's looking like they can go to a game seven. Looking like it. And for this reason. Because you have game six. Whoa, voice crack. Because we have Game Six Clay. You, you you saw a Game Six Clay down three one against the Oklahoma City Thunder a few years back. You saw a Game Six Clay. This time this time it's gonna be an Oracle, not away, an Oracle. So take that Clay and amplify it by like two. I don't know, times two. Then you have Curry. He's gonna play well. Clay's gonna play amazing. Role players play better at home. All the pressure is not on the Warriors. It's actually on the Raptors. And like I said, Lowry does not play well under pressure. Marcus Saul has never been here before. Pascal Siakam's young. He's going to have some spurts of doing great, but he's not going to play well under the pressure because he's young. He's young. Van Vliet's probably going to play well. Ibaka's probably going to play well. But will it matter? No. Kawhi might, Kawhi might play well. Probably will be. But he, but it cannot be a one-man show. 
And I'm telling you, this is probably going to go to Game 7. For that simple reason of just pressure and momentum. Like I said, momentum matters. Raptors have not that much momentum right now. And I think that also the Warriors are going to come out of the gate firing on all cylinders. Mainly one reason because they want to do this for Kevin Durant. And this is almost like that Rocket series where they were down again. Well, no, it was tied 2-2, my bad. But same thing where Kevin Durant goes down and they're like, okay, we, we, we won't have him for the series. And against Portland Trailblazers, same thing. They, they said, well, we won't have him for the series. And so we got to come out and produce. And in a weird way, Kevin Durant's injury helps them fix their mindset a bit. It provides a bit more clarity saying, hey, we, we don't have Kevin Durant backing this up this time. It's not happening this time. So we got to perform in order to win. We, we don't have that little savior in the back. And then second also, Oracle Arena is going to be rocking home court advantage for the Warriors. Even though they lost both of their home games this series, I just don't see them losing all three. I mean, you cannot tell me that they're going to lose their last three home games at Oracle Arena before going to San Francisco, before moving arenas. That's not going to happen. Now, what I think the Warriors should do, and this is, I mean, you can call me insane, but, I mean, this is what they should do. They, they should lower all the ticket prices, just pack the stadium, the arena, whatever you want to call it. Overfill it, if anything. Get as much noise in there as possible. Don't have business people in there. Have hardcore fans that have been through, that have been, that have been with the Warriors through thick and thin. Don't, don't have these business people in there. Not, not when it matters the most in this case. Have the hardcore fans in there. Because they're going to be going crazy. They're going to be sharing every single moment. And also, you got to have Kevin Durant out there on the bench this time. It's got to happen. you got to have him out there. So that when he comes out, they cheer for him. And it's a reminder for the Warriors, for their players, every single possession of what they're fighting for, the three-peat, for their brother Kevin Durant. They need that reminder for the whole game. They need it. To fight, to continue fighting. And that's the reason why I believe that the Warriors will win Game 6 and send it to Game 7 in Toronto. Where it all comes down to this. Can the Warriors get the, their three-peat on a historical 3-1 comeback? Much like the Cavaliers got their first championship in 2016. 2015-2016. Or were the Raptors. Somehow win their first championship in franchise history with, with Kawhi Leonard there in his first year with the first-year head coach Nick Nurse. Similar to how the Warriors won it in 2014-2015. Their first championship in 40 years for the Warriors in that case. In 2014-2015. It's a very similar situation with a new head coach and very young players. Either way, it's going to be historic. And it's going to change the NBA. 
as we know it. This has been The G-Truth with your host, Giovanni Knox. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Be sure that if you're listening to us on YouTube, you like, subscribe, and also help this channel grow a whole lot more by telling your friends and family, anyone you know really, who likes sports, and, e and even if they don't like sports and just want to listen to do something in their spare time on their car rides, you know, li listen on to this podcast. Help me grow. Help me grow. Anyways, this has been your host, Jermaine Hollis. You have been listening to the G-Truth. Thank you for listening, and peace out.